Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. It's Wednesday, January 11th, 2023. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, we're the first stone tools in the Americas made not by ancient humans, but by monkeys. Plus, could color-changing cars be in our future? And will other nations follow New Zealand's lead on banning cigarettes to future generations? Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. Could 50,000-year-old stone tools in Brazil, sometimes thought to be evidence of ancient humans on the continent tens of thousands of years earlier than commonly believed, actually have been left there by monkeys? A paper published in the most recent issue of the journal Holocene is the latest in a line of studies focusing on tool use by capuchin monkeys in Brazil and how that relates to the archaeological record of ancient humans. For nearly a century, many archaeologists have argued for the Clovis First theory, which says that the Clovis people, who lived in the Americas 13 to 14,000 years ago, were the first humans on the continents, arriving only after glaciers subsided enough towards the end of the Ice Age. But there have been a number of challenges to that theory over the years. Quoting Artnet, In recent decades, archaeological sites like the Buttermilk Creek Complex in Texas, which has evidence of human inhabitants dating back 15,000 years, and Monte Verde in Chile, dated as early as 18,500 years ago, have challenged that hypothesis. There is growing acceptance of the theory that during the Ice Age, people began settling along a coastal entry route. End quote. And then there's the fossilized footprints found at White Sands National Park in New Mexico, which in 2021 were radiocarbon dated by the U.S. Geological Survey via seeds lodged in the footprints as being 21 to 22,000 years old, substantially older than the first evidence of the Clovis people and firmly within the Ice Age. But more recent analyses indicate that those seeds may have ingested ancient carbon from the lake they were found in, making them seem thousands of years older than they actually may be. Experiments continue to be run on that particular case. And then finally, we have stone shards found at the Pedra Ferrada archaeological site in Brazil, believed to be human-made stone tools, which have been dated back 30 to 50,000 years ago. They mark the oldest indication of a human presence in the Americas. But were those tools actually made by monkeys? 
A number of studies over the years have formally analyzed the ways in which capuchin monkeys use rocks. Quoting a 2017 article in Scientific American following one such study, these animals have long been known to use rocks for a wide range of activities, from cracking open nuts and digging for roots to catching the attention of potential mates. Other non-human primates, including West African chimpanzees, also use rocks as tools in the wild. But the Serra de Capivera capuchins are the only ones that scientists have seen banging rocks together to break them, an activity previously thought to be exclusive to members of the human family. The capuchins, in contrast, have never been seen using the flakes they make. They just lick the surface of the embedded stone, perhaps in pursuit of mineral dust." End quote. And from Artnet last week, quote, The monkeys have their own rock quarries, where they select substantially sized rocks to use as hammers to crack nuts against a larger, flattened anvil rock. Rocks come in handy for eating seeds and fruits, and the monkeys even lick the dust created from driving two rocks together. Stone tools assist capuchins with other tasks as well, such as digging, and the females throw rocks at potential mates as a way of demonstrating sexual interest. All of these processes can lead to the stones breaking into smaller, flaked pieces, which the new study found are indistinguishable from some ancient stone tools carved by early humans. End quote. That's one of the key elements here that the ways we see capuchin monkeys using rocks today seems to meet the criteria used to identify intentionally created stone tools by humans versus naturally broken rocks in the archaeological record. So maybe all the intentionally created stone tools weren't created by humans after all, and therefore that oldest claim for human presence in the Americas might be null and void. That's because the stone tools have been the only evidence brought forth for that particular claim. To date, there have been no other discoveries of hearths, dietary remains, or other markers of humans. Now, remember, this is specifically about the first humans in the Americas. The oldest known stone tools globally have been found in present-day Kenya, dating back over three million years. And even though non-human tool use has been documented in various sites throughout the African continent, mostly by chimpanzees, those sites have also included other contextual clues about humans. Helene Roche of Paris West University Nanterre La Défense told Scientific American in that 2017 piece that many of those sites with the oldest stone tools additionally included cut-marked bones demonstrating how the tools were used and fossils that indicate creation by human ancestors. So as usual, it's all about the context. And for now, many claims of early human presence in the Americas lack that extra context. But to dive deeper into the stone tools in the Americas, the authors of the latest study compared those stone tools found in Pedro Ferrada with the ones being created by capuchin monkeys today. A 2019 National Geographic article profiling yet another study on these monkeys pointed out that the capuchin monkeys at the Serra de Capivera National Park specifically have been using stone tools for at least 3,000 years, and it was local knowledge of this behavior that tipped scientists off to thinking to compare current tools with excavated ones. And in comparing the two tools, the authors determined, quote, the tools from Pedro Ferrada and other nearby sites in Brazil were nothing more than the product of capuchin monkeys breaking nuts and rocks some 50,000 years before the present. 
Our review of the evidence suggests that the ancient sites in Brazil do not actually belong to the first Americans, but are actually the product of monkey activity. This questions the hypotheses that proposed an excessively old settlement of South America. End quote. Apart from the implications on certain theories for the arrival of humans on the American continents, the recognition that not all tools were made by humans is, I think, an important reminder. Evolutionary anthropologist Aaron Marie Williams Hatala told National Geographic in 2019, quote, I'm always excited when new evidence of the complexity of animal behavior comes to light. I think that we were distracted for years, for decades, by creating these false narratives about what distinguishes us from other primates, end quote. And continuing from National Geographic, quote, For a long time, tool use was considered a quintessentially human activity, but decades of research has exposed that as simply untrue. Several bird species wield sticks and twigs as tools, chimpanzees can craft spears to hunt mammals, orangutans have hit on an ingenious solution for hydration. They chew up plant matter and use it as a sponge, soaking up hard-to-reach water and then squeezing it into their mouths. End quote. But now a big question does remain. Why did humans move on to more complex tools over the millennia, and those other species haven't? Now, there are plenty of potential answers to be found there in terms of the evolution of the brain and the body overall, but as archaeologist Sonia Harmon pointed out to Scientific American in 2017, that distinction is part of what makes human-made tools special. Even when at first they may appear the same as ones made by monkeys, there's still a larger story behind them. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. With a few exceptions, I feel like car colors are getting more boring. There's so many dark grays and light grays, and here in the tri-state area, almost every used car is black, thanks to the preponderance of rideshare and other taxi services. I really want a more exciting color for any future car that I buy, and you know, getting a custom paint job is pretty pricey. But what if, one day in the perhaps not-too-distant future, you could change the color of your car with the touch of a button? That's the dream of BMW's concept car, the BMW iVision D. That's D-E-E. First debuting at CES last year, the earlier model, the iX Flow, was able to change between white, black, and gray a.k.a. the most standard and, in my opinion, most absolutely boring car color options. But this year, the iVision D made its big debut, with an assist from Arnold Schwarzenegger and famous cars Kit and Herbie the Lovebug. Check the Verge link in the show notes for the Schwarzenegger promo film, which explains hardly anything about the car and acts like it's making some big declaration about old-fashioned emotion and practical effects versus virtual effects and the future, but doesn't really land anywhere or tell you much about the car. But that video aside, the car itself does seem pretty cool. Instead of just three monochrome colors, the iVision D can change between 32 colors thanks to 240 
individual e-ink segments, and you can control each panel independently to give you the sort of chaotic paint-by-number rainbow barf paint job of your childhood dreams. Or you can just stick with monochrome, and maybe a splash of color on the rims. Anything goes. Quoting The Verge, BMW's concepts make use of technology developed with the US-based e-ink corporation, which is behind e-readers and various smartwatches. A film coating on the car contains tiny microcapsules whose pigments change when electricity is applied. While e-ink has seen a number of applications over the years, BMW says it's unique to the automotive sector, developed and programmed by in-house engineers. And what's more, this concept uses the latest tech from e-ink, called Prism 3 Film, which is fully programmable and meant to be low on power consumption for sustainability. Prism 3 can also be manufactured in any shape, making industrial design applications seemingly endless. End quote. As an early adopter of the Kindle, I am a huge fan of e-ink, and I'm happy to see that it is finally starting to be applied in devices beyond just e-readers. Per Verge, it's now popping up in medical wearables, phones, mostly the low-tech kinds, and digital signage. Now, there are a number of downsides to e-ink, one of them being that it's typically only black and white, which makes the 32 colors of the iVision D even more remarkable. And as to how BMW pulled that off on such a large scale, quoting Slashgear, Basically, different currents applied to the e-paper generate different hues. They're not as vivid or saturated as, say, an LCD or OLED panel would be, but they still have all the advantages of monochrome e-ink. So power is only required to change the color, not to maintain it, and it's all supplied on a flexible backplane, end quote. Another downside to e-ink is that it's not invincible. When I drop my Kindle enough to scratch the screen, the nick from the scratch no longer functions. It's just a tiny hair of bright light shining through the screen, easily ignorable enough once I'm absorbed in my book. But with so much extra tech behind the panels on the iVision D, at the moment, everyday road damage and even maintenance could render panels non-functional. The Verge says that the team behind iVision D is currently hard at work making the e-paper panels strong enough to stand up to things as ordinary as flying insects and car washes. And another goal of theirs? Spray-on e-paper. Not only might that bring costs down, but the team thinks that if they bond the e-ink behind glass, it could substantially improve the resilience. Now, on the other hand, with the current segmented design, it's easier to swap out a broken or damaged panel as opposed to having to redo the entire body wrap. This whole concept has been the brainchild of BMW's Stella Clark, who tells Slashgear that the enthusiasm toward the iVision D and its predecessor, the iX Flow, have led to interest within other departments at BMW to test out e-paper on things like interior controls and panels. So, while the color-changing exterior might remain an R&D project for quite a while longer, I wouldn't be surprised if we do see some of Clark's innovations incorporated into smaller interior details in the coming years. Remember how New Zealand recently banned the sale of tobacco products to anyone born after the year 2008? Well, other countries have been taking note. The United Kingdom's Shadow Health Secretary Wes Streeting was recently asked about this on BBC's Sunday with Laura Koonsberg. 
In a discussion about the UK's National Health Service, Koonsberg mentioned the recent New Zealand ban and asked Streeting if the Labour Party would try to enact something similar. Streeting told her that it was recommended to the government in one of their reviews to phase out the sale of cigarettes over time. While a number of UK publications are running with the headline that the Labour Party has unveiled plans to ban tobacco, Streeting's true words were that he wants to see how it works in New Zealand first, and that he'd like to know how voters across the UK feel about the idea. He did also add, however, quote, If we're going to get the NHS back on track, we need to focus on public health, so we're going to have to think radically. What the government have done to the NHS is a disgrace. It's going to take time to fix it and fresh radical thinking, and that's what Labour's about. End quote. According to Wales Online, the UK government's target of getting the adult smoking rate down to 5% or less in England by 2030 is not expected to be reached without more drastic action. And in addition to pure concern for health, the topic is a concern of budgets. Smoking costs the NHS over £3 billion each year. Less people smoking means less people seeking medical care for the diseases it can cause, which means more money in the NHS coffers. While Simon Clark, the director of smoking group Forest, told the right-leaning LBC that banning the sale of tobacco products to future generations will just drive the sales underground, Deborah Arnott, the chief executive of the Action on Smoking and Health charity, says some type of action tackling smoking absolutely needs to be taken, whether it's the New Zealand model or a much more modest one of raising the age of sale to 21 as happened here in New York City about five years ago. Two exceptionally biased opinions, of course. I would agree with streeting generally to the extent that we should see how this goes in New Zealand. And if it works out there, maybe more nations should follow suit. Smoking rates have gone down significantly for younger generations, but they're largely being replaced by vaping, which the New Zealand ban currently doesn't affect. I also find it interesting how some nations, like the U.S., are legalizing more and more drugs, like marijuana and psychedelics, while other nations are enforcing generation-wide bans on cigarettes. It's quite a tide shift from a few decades ago, and just interesting to watch play out, frankly. Well, that's going to be it from me for today. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.